Um, so tonight I'd like to continue the, the area we've been focusing on, we've been looking at, we've been exploring over the past number of weeks on mindfulness of the body. Um, we went back a few weeks ago and started talking about mindfulness and the uh, <clears throat> uh, and I wanted to go through a little more thoroughly around the teachings around mindfulness and really go through the four foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, which is not emotion in Buddhism, mindfulness of feeling, which I'll start talking about either next week or the week after, is really about the feeling tone or the feeling quality that's inherent in any moment of existence. And the feeling that the Buddha is pointing at, the Vedana is the word he used, Vedana, is, is that any moment can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Neutral is probably the best English word. Um, and that you can start to be mindful of your experience, whether it's a physical experience, a mental experience, emotional experience, a spiritual experience, can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And you can start to be mindful of that. And that's a whole, that's one of the domains of mindfulness, one of the four foundations so there's the foundation, body is the first foundation, mindfulness of feeling or Vedana is the second foundation, mindfulness of mind is the third foundation which we'll go into because I'm sure people here might have minds once in a while or notice your mm -hmm. mind happens even when you don't want it to happen. Or, and then uh, the fourth foundation is called mindfulness of Dharma. And we'll be going through those uh, systematically in a relaxed way over the next number of weeks. And we've been, we've been starting with this foundational area of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. And one of the things you can do tonight, one of the ways you can practice tonight is even as you're listening to me, is be a little bit mindful of your body. Like feel, which means be sensitive to your body. Feel your body, even now. And you'll notice mostly you'll be able to hear me and understand me. And if you won't, you'll still be doing something even better than hearing me understand me, which is being mindful of, of what's happening in your seat. Because that's where awakening is found, is right where you're sitting. No, nowhere else, really. And so that's why mindfulness and all the great contemplative practices are so keen on the present moment, because that's where awakening is found. That's where insight is discovered. That's where liberation is realized, right where you're sitting. So the Buddha um, emphasized and many of his disciples, teachers, lineage has emphasized mindfulness of body. I think I used this quote already, but I'll just read a little bit from Ajahn Mun, who's my teacher's teacher's teacher. How's that? I love saying that. My teacher, who is Jack Cornfield, was one of my teachers, and his teacher was Ajahn Chah, and Ajahn Chah's teacher was Ajahn Mun, who said, in your investigation of the world, 
never allow the mind to desert the body. It's just that. That's a great teaching to begin to get, especially because we live at a time or an age of the world and in a culture that's highly cognitive, that is not so physically oriented. And Ajahn Mun said, in your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Really start to get sensitive or familiar or tuned or mindful of or bodyful of your body. Um, and one of the key, the first, you know, depending uh, which which canon you read, but the Pali can, the Pali canon, when they outline the four foundations of mindfulness, and they go to mindfulness of the body, they start with mindfulness of breathing. This is a fundamental mindfulness of the body practice, mindfulness of your breath. So not only while I'm talking would it be good to be mindful of your body, but actually be a little bit mindful of your breath. See what it's like to feel your breath now. Whether you feel good or bad, whether you like what I'm saying, you don't like it, that's fine. You can like it, not like it, that's not a problem. What's it like to be mindful of the body and the body breathing, of the living reality that's sitting in your seat right now, that's alive in your seat? This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who, um, I can't remember, when did we have Bhikkhu Bodhi here? Does anybody remember that? During the World Series? During the Frisco World Series? So it's two years ago, two World Series, a year and a half or so ago, something like that. So Bhikkhu Bodhi was here, and actually he was really a lovely gentleman, I've never met him before. And he stayed with us for a night or so. And uh, uh, oh yeah, he watched the World Series with us. That's what happened. I remember because we watched the last game of the World Series, and he got so excited. Not about the World Series. <laughs> he said, "He said, wow, these are grown men jumping up and down like after they'd won. They were jumping, and he'd never seen that like you know for a sporting event." And he was like. I said, yeah, this is a big deal, uh, Bhikkhu. <laughs> so, so this is a quote from Bhikkhu Bodhi, who's a, who's a beautiful, uh, you know, scholar and monk and teacher. He said, the Buddha begins his exposition of the body with contemplation of the mindfulness of breathing. And you can do your breathing, even while, I'm, even while the words are kind of coming in like water. So the Buddha begins his exposition of, of the body with contemplation of the mindfulness of the body. Though not required as a starting, starting point for meditation, mindfulness of breathing usually serves as the root meditation subject, the foundation for the entire course of contemplation. It would be a mistake to consider this subject merely an exercise for neophytes which often many people do. They think, oh, mindfulness of the body, that's for beginning or beginners, and that's, that's it. And it's good for beginning or beginners or beginning in meditation, but it's also good, all, it could be, take you all the way to the end of the meditation practice. So he says, 
It says mindfulness of breathing usually serves as the root meditation subject foundation for the entire course of contemplation, a mistake to consider this subject merely an exercise for neophytes. By itself, mindfulness of breathing can lead to all the stages of the path culminating in full awakening. By itself, mindfulness of the, of the breathing can lead to all the stages of enlightenment, which traditionally there's four stages, including complete full awakening. In fact, it was this meditation subject that the Buddha used on the night of his own enlightenment that he reverted to throughout the, his years of doing solitary retreat, and he constantly recommended this practice. So it's a, it's a, it's a safe, good place to start, right? There may be more esoteric, more interesting, bright light stuff, or, you know, God knows what people teach these days. <laughs> and, and they're all good, they all have their place. But mindfulness of the body and the breathing, you can take it with you anywhere. You don't have to pay for it even. You know, you don't need special robes for it. Just what you have right now is what all you need to do this practice and to really discover the fruit or the insight that's available through mindfulness and take you all the way to the end of the path. So it brings mindfulness of breathing is an interesting practice because it brings both samadhi and, and sati and mindfulness. It brings concentration and awareness. <clears throat> As we mind the breath, which is what we're doing, we're minding the breathing. And it's, you know, it's hard to value from the outside. People say, oh, what do I care about my breath? You know, I just breathe anger. And, it t and so it'll t if you haven't done any mindfulness of breathing, it'll take a while before you find the value usually. Usually it takes a little bit of time before one gets sensitive or intimate with the breath, with the body as it breathes, and the power that can come with this simple practice of what we consider ordinary reality, being a human being breathing. Um, it can bring uh, uh, concentration, a kind of stabilizing of one's attentiveness, one's mindfulness, a steadying of one's attention, a unifying of one's attention, a unifying of one's body and mind, and a centering of the power of our consciousness and what that power can bring. And it's something we don't, we're not taught so much about the power of consciousness in this way, in a contemplative way. Mostly we're taught about how to use it in education and how to use it in, um, uh, a finance, for financial means. Then we learn how to concentrate or we learn how to focus ourselves or we learn how to become you know, a good accountant, or we learn how to become a great cook, or we learn how to become a great baseball player, or we learn how to become a computer programmer, or whatever it is that we learn. That's where we take those skills of concentrating, of stabilizing, of centering, of awareness, 
of, of a kind of presence that can develop not for any of those goals, but just to learn about the nature of the, and the potential of what human consciousness is or what is inherent in human consciousness. And it's, um, it's more commonly taught, although it's taught in Western traditions, it's more commonly taught in Eastern traditions. But here's something from Thich Nhat Hanh talking about it. He says, I wish to say something about the expression, and he's using this, this is one of the ways mindfulness is talked about in some of the translations. He says, about observing the body in the body, or observing the feelings in the feelings, because that's how it's often taught. Be mindful of the body in the body. Be mindful of the feelings in the feelings. Be mindful of the mind in the mind. Be, uh, or observing dharmas in the dharmas. When Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it, he says, the key to observation meditation is that the subject of the object of the, is that the subject of the object of the observation and the object of the object of the uh, um, observation not be regarded as two separate things. Okay, I'm going to say that again. <laughs> the key to observation meditation is that the subject of the object of the observation and the object of the observation not be regarded as two separate things. A, a scientist may try to separate him or herself from the object he or she is observing and measuring. But students of meditation have to remove the boundary between subject and object. Right? Meditation students need to remove the boundary between subject and object. When we observe something, we are that thing. We become, we, that's what we're observing. You know, the idea that there's somebody here observing the breath is an idea that we've ingested. You know, or that we're, there's somebody here observing the feelings that are somewhere, right? Or observing the mind that's somewhere. But where's the thing that's doing the observing? Where's that? We don't usually look for that. But the observing or the mindfulness is merged or is contactful is one with what we're paying attention to so that at a certain point and this can happen because at first it'll feel like oh I'm paying attention to the breathing from here and the breathing's happening here that's you know that's a good start that's fine but if you really start to get intimate with the experience of what's happening and the knowing of it directly, that division starts to fade. And there's the knowing and the experience are much more unified. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it. He says, when we observe something, we are that thing. Non-duality is the key word. And I'm pointing you at some of the depths of what can happen even with mindfulness of breathing. Because it's really interesting when you do it in, with some dedication, some perseverance, 
and the fruits or the riches start to reveal themselves of just being mindful of the breathing. And all of a sudden you're not even trying to be mindful of the breathing. There's just breathing and the knowing of it. And you see, oh, this is consciousness is functioning on its own. I'm not doing it at this point. <clears throat> and it's beautiful. It's, it's actually, it's not usually, I shouldn't say always, but usually it's also a very pleasurable feeling. This feeling of unity or non-duality or oneness that can happen with the body or the breath or the feelings or the mind or all of experience that we start to lose the um, uh, conceptual belief in separateness which is what that is we think because there's a body here and consciousness is related to the body that it's all we're all separate things you know and that's one level of reality that that has its truth to it and we don't have to get rid of that and you know Eugene knows where Eugene's car is and all that stuff that's good but it's not the end of the story and meditation isn't interested in just the beginning it's interested in the beginning and the middle and the end and they all start to become one thing at a certain point they're not so different so the breath becomes a teacher starts to teach us about reality just the simple body and breath that's all we need to learn really some of the depth of reality of what the potential of consciousness is of what the potential real of what the potential that may be um, uh, um, woven into our reality is we can start to learn that simply by paying attention to the body and breathing that's sitting in your seat not thinking your way there you won't get there if you try to follow me by thinking your way there you'll just suffer don't do that really let me save you right now I can go Christian on this and save you really it's not a a good way to practice if you try to think your way because it's Buddhism and Buddhism's about practice and your own direct experience starting to reveal reality to you and that's why it's an interesting uh, religion and an interesting teaching and an interesting practice because it's pointing at you it's not pointing at the Buddha the Buddha's pointing at you the Buddha says oh yeah what you seek is sitting right here what you want to know it's sitting in your seat what we want to do is give you the tools the skills the training so that you can attend to what's already here that will reveal the truth of reality in its fullness and in its beauty really in its richness so the here's some of the teachings on mindfulness of the body very simple teachings this is from the Anapanasata Sutta the first and it's really there's 16 different steps the Buddha outlines that are helpful to know we're not going to go through all of them but just the first one is um, says while breathing in long one fully comprehends I breathe in long 
while breathing out long, one fully comprehends a breathe out long. Just that. So right now, if you feel your breath, or, or and then of course the second one is if it's short, you know, you comprehend if I'm breathing in short or I'm breathing out short. And, and the knowing is not so much a cognitive knowing, that's a little bit of it. It's a felt sense knowing. Feel your breath. Feel the length of breath. Feel all the little nuances to one in-breath and to one out-breath and then to the next in-breath and the next out-breath. And this, this simple, repetitive task of being mindful or sensitive or tending to your own self, your own life's breath, leads to concentration, groundedness, centering, awareness, building, it, discovering its own capacity and then becoming more and more sensitive to reality. And reality, the depths of reality can always be found right here, right now. It's not somewhere so far away. That's where we think that. And that's okay to think that. Maybe it'll take a while. But what the Buddha's pointing at is right here. It's sitting in your seat. And so the Buddha talks, and in Buddhism it's often talked about as learning how to be with things as they are. That's one of the keys to mindfulness and to awakening, is learning how to be with things as they are. Whether it's the body, the breathing, the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings, the states of mind, states of consciousness, states of reality. Learning how to be present and awake in each of those. And they all have their value, they all have their import because they're not all so separate as we tend to think of them. And if you think of them that way, you don't have to change, just pay attention. Keep paying attention to your direct experience. And if you can be with the breath as it is, you will start to learn how to be with things as they are. So one of the things you'll see in Buddhism is we don't tell you, oh yeah, you have to breathe for this long, and it has to be this deep, and then you have to breathe out this long, and if you can't do that, then you have to go do some push-ups, or you have to... No, no, no. You have, what we're asking is your consciousness becomes sensitive to what's right here, to what's sitting in your seat right now, to what, what your breath is like now, to what your body is like now. See, it continues focusing on the here and now, and what, what's here is all of us. We're all here. The body's here. Consciousness is here. And we can pay attention to it. We can grow it. We can nurture it. It can begin to reveal its riches right here. We also start to learn how not to judge because we're not asking you to judge your breath. Oh, this is a good breath. This is a bad breath. Oh, this is the one that will get me enlightened. This won't. We don't. We just want to see how is it to let consciousness begin to function with this kind of awareness and sensitivity, and see what happens. See what happens to consciousness itself. Not our ideas. Not our beliefs. Not our imagining. Not our comments. But what actually happens is we learn how to be mindful. 
And two things will happen if you practice. If you really give, devote yourself a little bit or dedicate yourself or commit yourself to being mindful of the breath for a week or a month or a year or whatever you give yourself to, mindfulness of the breathing will reveal two things. It will reveal your breath and it will reveal what's not your breath. And they're both good. <laughs> In other words, if you try to be mindful of the breath, anybody notice it wasn't so easy? Anybody have that experience or is it just me? Come on. Anybody, anybody had perfectly with their breath the whole time? Didn't miss a breath? Right. There's no hands up. I want you all to know that. Because it's actually not an easy thing to do. Because we're not used to being centered concentrated, collected, one-pointed in this way that the meditation will teach us to be, or can teach us to be. And that's an interesting power to develop, and it is a power. It's a beautiful power. It's a beautiful skill to develop. Um, <clears throat> so, so if we practice mindfulness of breathing for a while, it's great to do it on a retreat or, or daily life if you sit for 45 minutes a day or half an hour, 15, whatever it is. But to really do it for a while and understand it's a practice like if you try to learn how to swim or you try to learn how to play piano or if you try to learn how to do something new. You need to give yourself to it. You need to devote yourself to it. You need to be a little bit serious about it in a... In a I don't know how to say it. I want to say in a playful way, meaning what in a way where you can engage it because it can be a lot of fun too. But what it will reveal is the breath and the feeling, the felt sense of the breathing. And it will also reveal all the things that aren't breath that take our attention. All our preoccupations. All our preconceptions. All our expectations. All our habits all our tendencies, all our um, uh, um, infatuations with our minds, with our imaginations, with our fantasies, all our, all our involvement with our emotions. Because those things will take us away from the breath for a while. And it's okay if they happen. You can also learn how to put them in the background and let the breath stay in the foreground. But that's a skill that develops with meditation. And so there's a number of qualities or characteristics that are helpful when you start to give yourself or devote yourself or dedicate yourself to waking up, if that's what you want. One is you want to learn how to be receptive to what's actually here. Like when you breathe, how do you be receptive to the breath as it is, not with our imagination of how it should be or what it should be or where it should be, but how do I be sensitive to breath, to breathing? Um, it also will teach us how to allow things to be the way they are and to be sensitive to them as they change, because the breath will change. It won't stay the same. It'll be different. So we'll learn about allowing, about acceptance, we'll learn how to, how to let our consciousness be open 
and directed but open. That's a good way to say it, actually. In other words, we're directing our attention to being mindful of the breath, but we're open to see what is that breath like? How is this breath? Well, how's your breath like right now? Is it like it was 20 minutes ago? Is it longer, shorter, richer, fuller? Are you more sensitive or less sensitive? So you're learning about the breath, but the breath is teaching you about mindfulness, about how to help support consciousness paying attention to something. And one of the things that often doesn't get talked about so much, but is important to mention, is mindfulness will teach you how to use your will. Is that okay with everybody? Like, you know, it's not just, oh, you sit and you let anything happen. That, you, you can do that. That's one way to practice. It's okay. I found it's much easier to do that after you learn the other ways to practice. And then you do that. Much easier after you've learned how to focus your attention to learn how to relax it. But the will is an interesting part of mindfulness practice because it's asking for your commitment or your determination or a certain kind of resolution or resolve or a certain kind of um, uh, 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 tenacity. That's really beautiful, actually. In other words, if, if awakening is something that moves you and moves you in your heart, like you want to awaken, you want to be free, you want to be liberated, whatever language of it, you, it speaks to you, if that touches you, then why not give yourself to it? Why not do what's needed so that it actually happens? Because it can happen for each person here. And that's something I would guess most people don't even believe is possible. Because mostly we don't think that way. We think negatively about it. We think, oh no, well that was for the Buddha. Or, you know, I want to do a little meditation to relax. or You know, and that's all good too. It's good to relax. But it's very interesting if you see what's moving you, what's touching you, why you're drawn to come to a group like this on Sunday night. You know, you could be at a bar partying it up, or you could be watching TV or going to a movie or doing something that might be more fun. I don't know. You know? I mean, I, I find meditation fun, but I always think I'm a little weird that way. But, 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 but what I'm suggesting is you can bring in the power of your determination or your commitment or your uh, dedication as part of meditation practice and it will have an impact two ways it'll have an impact on the meditation practice itself it will change what happens it'll be meaningful in your in the movement to awakening but it also will teach you something about will and the importance of using it skillfully and not unskillfully. In other words, devoting ourselves to things that are helpful, that are um, uh, skillful, that are intelligent, rather than devoting ourselves to going to a bar every night, which is not so skillful ultimately, not so helpful. So just devoting yourself to the breathing for a while will begin to reveal this part of meditation practice. 
It will also teach you about investigation, about kinesthetic investigation. So that the inquiry or the investigation of mindfulness of the breathing is not thinking about the breathing. It's not just conceptualizing, oh, it's an in-breath or an out-breath. That's, that's fine to know that. But the knowing of that is in the felt sense, the direct experience, the liveness of it. The, 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 the mystery of it or the magic of it that's here is that we're living beings and we don't even know what that is. You know, we have some idea we can say, we can, I can use the term living being. Great, what the hell is that? And what does it mean that we have a consciousness that can pay attention to itself? What is that? And why is it we have a lineage in humanity of people who've devoted themselves to this question of what is it to be a human being? What's the depth or potential of what it means to be a human being and how do we discover that? And so as we move into the kinesthetic, and this is a beautiful part. If you're a sensual person, which most people are to some degree or another, it's, it can be a sensual practice, mindfulness of the body and the breathing. It's amazing what can happen in the breath. Don't assume you know everything that can happen in mindfulness of breathing, because you don't. Whatever has happened so far, yeah, could be great, all good, but more is possible. In just feeling the breath, you can take you way out there. And by way out there, I mean in a skillful way, in a liberating way, in an insightful way, in an intimate and unified way that we become with what's sitting right here, with what we call being a human being. Again, from Thich Nhat Hanh, he says, Our breath is the bridge from our body to our mind, the element which reconciles body and mind and which makes possible oneness of body and mind. I mean, just that. That's such a, a rare uh, experience for most of us. Most of us live um, uh, fragmented in our body or in our mind or in our feelings or in this and doing ten things at once but not really being there wholly, fully, wholly, W-H-O-L-E, wholly, wholly here, wholly present. And he says, he says, this one practice reconciles body and mind, makes possible oneness of body and mind, breath is aligned to both body and mind and it is a tool that can bring them both together, bringing the power of concentration, illustrating both, and bringing both peace and calm. And it's a beautiful uh, friend. It's beautiful to make friends with your breathing at some point. Because it's, it's always here. It's, it's an easy friend. <laughs> at some point when you realize it, when you feel it, it's like, oh, you don't have to go call it up. You don't have to go out somewhere to find a friend. Oh no, there's something right here that has a numinous. You all know the word numinous? Anybody not know the word numinous? Anybody know how to explain numinous? 
luminous, holy would be a closest, I think, in divine or uh, more than more than ordinary, luminous. Um, um, there's a, the there's the potential of the luminous in you. That's really what I'm saying. And the breath is just one of the examples of that. That the living reality of humanness has a numinous quality to it. And, and everybody here knows that. All, people always have, even if they don't know it intellectually, they have an intuition of it, or a feeling of it, or an idea, or a belief, or something. Or just a sense of it. And it's one of the beautiful things about human beings of every culture have this. And it's why there's religion in every culture, why the sacred is honored or paid attention to or recognized in every culture. And so the breath has the possibility of becoming a friend. And here's a couple of simple instructions and mindfulness of breathing. Again from the Buddha, he says, one trains oneself sensitive to the whole body I breathe in. One trains oneself sensitive to the whole body I breathe in. Sensitive to the whole body I breathe out. Relaxing the whole body I breathe in. Relaxing the whole body I breathe out. In other words, we become friends with the human experience, with one of the fundamental core pieces of being a human. Whatever, whatever we are, when we don't have a body anymore, we're not humans. Right? That I'm clear about. <laughs> Especially since my accident happened you know, last year. That was really clear. It's like, oh yeah, the body, that's a human experience and it doesn't last forever. It's part of the human experience. And it's, it's where the uh, uh, mystery of spirit is rooted or grounded in as part of the human experience. And so the breath becomes a friend, and we can become sensitive to the breath, breathing in, breathing out. We can relax with the breath, breathing in, breathing out, so that we can learn how to get here, be here, land here, and begin to wake up here. It's very hard to wake up if we're always talking to ourselves, if we're always commenting on everything if we're always trying to figure everything out with our minds and our mind is doing this all the time, right? Anybody notice this with their mind ever? This is what minds do and it's okay, it's a good thing, minds know how to do this. It's not the whole story. Meditation sometimes lets the mind begin to slow down. And, and so focusing on something like the body and the breathing takes us out of that conceptual reality into a more, a simpler, ultimately, reality. So right now, notice what your breath is like. Or when you go home later and you're having a hard time, you're angry. Notice what your breath is like when you're angry. And people say, I don't want to think about my breath. I'm pissed off. I don't give a fuck about my breath. <laughs> Try to be mindful of your breath and you will learn something. Or if you're sad, you're grieving, and your dog's died or dying and you're crying, 
let it happen and be mindful of the breath that happens while you're grieving or while you're irritated or when you're doubtful or whatever is happening you can be mindful of the breath while that's happening when you're sad or tired or irritated or it's a very skillful way to work with the human experience so that consciousness stays present it doesn't simply get intoxicated by what we're experiencing should I say that again? in other words we tend to get intoxicated by our experience one of the goals of mindfulness is to start to wake up in every experience in any experience so that consciousness can function whether we're angry, we're sad, we're happy, we're joyful, we're irritated, we're pissed off, we're bored, we're whatever it is. So that our consciousness can live in its fullness and start to reveal the fruit of a full consciousness, of an awake consciousness. So one of the things about mindfulness of breathing is very skillful when there's pain. And there's and you know, if you know Buddhism and you know human life, there's pain. That's part of the deal. It's not just gonna disappear because you're Buddhist or because you're doing mindfulness of breathing, but there's a way to work with it as practice for liberation, for freedom. Even if you're irritated, sad, hurt emotionally pained, physically pained. You know, I, I had a serious accident it's a while ago now, it's like nine months ago, a bike accident. And you know, I was in the hospital five weeks. And, um, you know, even, even without having a, a great consciousness of mindfulness itself, I knew how to practice, probably because of all the practice I've done. And I knew how to pay attention to what was happening, which was the safest place to be. Right? There was nothing. I could have fantasies about, oh, I'm fine, or, or this shouldn't have happened, or whatever. But those are just fantasies. But I knew how to be present, how to stay present, right where I was, which is the only place where I could do anything skillful. And mindfulness of breathing was a big part of that, especially when it was painful. And I had all these broken bones in my body and all kinds of stuff you don't even want to hear about. I don't even want to talk about it. But, but you know, but it's, actually, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. It was really hard, but it was also totally a normal thing. I had an accident on a bicycle. It's what happens if you're a human being. Can happen in when you're walking. Can happen in your car. Can happen in your house. Can happen any time. Being a human being is a vulnerable condition. And even if it doesn't happen for most of your life, at the end of your life, I can assure you, something's going to happen. Can we be present? Can we stay awake? Can we wake up right then and there? That's, that's the possibility. That's the potential practice. So here's a couple more things about mindfulness of breathing before I end. One is, 
I think it's really helpful to treat the breath, not always, but sometimes as a mystery. Because we assume we know what a breath is, and it limits our sensitivity to the breathing. It's like, here's an example. It's like if you have a lover for 20 years, you think you know how to have sex with them. But if you go find someone brand new, oh, this is really exciting, this is brand new, and learning a lot. When in fact, if we learn, if we start to learn that actually, even if we know somebody 20 years, there's still a mystery, then we can start to discover more about reality at any time. And the same is true with the breathing. That there's no... See what ha- here, here's a better way for me to say it. See what happens if you pretend you don't know what a breath is when you're being mindful of the breathing. So stay mindful of the breath, but don't know what it is. Really see if you can discover it breath by breath. <coughs> what is the experience? What is it really? Not our ideas, not our beliefs, not our projections, not our conceptualization, not our historical ideas, but the direct experience. And then the awareness starts to work more intimately with what's here. It's not veiled by our concepts, aren't in the way of the breath, aren't in the way of the direct experience. And it'll bring, it can take us very far in practice. Don't, don't underestimate this simple, ordinary practice of mindfulness of breathing. This is from Suzuki Roshi. He says, when we practice, our mind always follows our breathing. When we inhale, the air comes into the inner world. When we exhale, the air goes into the outer world. The inner world Right? The air comes into the inner world, goes out into the outer world. The inner world is limitless. The outer world is also limitless. We say inner world or outer world, but actually there is just one whole world. In this limitless world, our throat is like a swinging door. The air comes in and goes out like someone passing through a swinging door. If you think, I breathe, the I is extra. You're adding a conceptualization to the experience. Uh, I mean, that's me talking now. If you think, I breathe, the I is extra. There is no you to say I. What we call I is just the swinging door. What moves when we inhale and when we exhale? It just moves, that is all. When your mind is pure and calm enough to follow this movement, there is nothing. No I, no world, no mind, no body, just the swinging door. So when we practice, all that exists is the movement of the breathing, and we are aware of this movement. To be aware of the movement does not mean to be aware of your small sense of self, but rather of your universal nature, or Buddha nature. And this is part of the potential of a simple practice like being mindful of your body breathing is it can take us outside our 
habitual and historical conceptualization about who and what we are. When, when we practice all that exists is the movement of the breathing and we are aware of this movement, to be aware of the movement does not mean to be aware of your small sense of self, but rather of your universal nature or Buddha nature. I think that's a good place to stop. I'm going to leave you all with your Buddha nature. Let's sit for a moment before we end. Actually, before we sit, I'm going to give you some homework. (laughs) This is just my mind. This isn't true, but I thought I should say, oh, don't come back if you don't do the homework. (laughs) That would be good. Here's the homework. (laughs) The homework is be mindful of your breath this for one week. See what it's like if you attend to it or pay attention to it or stay sensitive to it whenever you can in your meditation or outside of your meditation. See what happens if you devote yourself and and, and give yourself to it. Not not because anything has to happen. Just see what happens. And then next week we can talk about it in some more detail. And we can talk about oh, what, what's hard about it, what's easy, problems, questions, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so let's sit for a moment before we end. I'll end with a poem from Rumi. It's called Only Breath. Not Christian or Jew or Muslim. Not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi or Zen. Not any religion or cultural system. I am not from the East or the West not out of the ocean or up from the ground, not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. I do not exist. I'm not an entity in this world or the next. Did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story. My place is placeless. My place is placeless. A trace of the traceless neither body or soul. I belong to the Beloved, have seen the two worlds as one, and that one called to and know, first, last, outer, inner. I belong to the Beloved, have seen the two worlds as one, and that one called to and know, first, last, outer, inner, only that breath breathing human being. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.